All right. For the last few weeks, I've been, uh, we've been thinking together about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And today is kind of the last message in that uh, little mini-series. And I want us to think about the end game of the Holy Spirit. What is he for? Who, what is he trying to do in our life? What's, what's his purpose? And I just want you to know that the Bible is very, very clear about this, that his purpose is to holify us. <laughs> he is the Holy Spirit, and he uses the Holy Scripture in God's holy people to make us holy. And uh, the word we use, theologians use, is to sanctify. It's also the word the Bible uses, that he sanctifies us. And the word sanctify, sanctification, and uh, the word saint all comes from the same root that means to make holy. And uh, the children of Israel were told, you be holy because I'm holy. They were the chosen people of God. And then that's reiterated over in the New Testament when God tells us as Christians that God's goal for us is to make us holy. Now, holiness is important. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, without holiness, no one will see God. So it's a pretty serious deal, isn't it? You want to see God someday? You want to go to heaven? Well, you don't go to heaven without holiness. So how do we get holiness, and what does it mean to be holy? Well, the word holy is a word that actually means to cut and separate. To if, I, if I took a piece of paper here and I cut it in two, put part of it over here, that part has been set aside for a specific purpose. And that's what holy basically means, is that God wants us to be holy. I want you to look at a passage in John chapter 17. This, one of the, this is the greatest prayer in all the Bible. John chapter 17, verses 14 through 19. I'll read all of it. Focus in on verse 17. But John 17, beginning in verse 14, Jesus is praying. Boy, I tell you, this is you talk about an a inner sanctum. Just to step in and listen to Jesus praying. He said, He's praying to the Father. He said, I have given them your word. He's talking about us. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just like I'm not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Then this is the verse I want to focus in on sanctify them in the truth your word is truth and let's go ahead and read the next couple of verses to kind of get it all in the context here as you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth Amen. now a lot of times as Christians when we first become a Christian, we think like this. I mean, we're just babies. We're just babies. By the way, I got a, had a, a long message from Mike, my friend in Bulgaria, this morning. And he was 
thanking me for the messages on the Holy Spirit, and he was saying, God is just teaching him so much. He said, you know, when I first became a Christian, I thought that the Christian life was something that I did for God. I thought that, that now that God has saved me, if Jesus loved me enough to die for me, I have to now live for him. And I have to try so hard to be a really good Christian. And he said, uh, I just kept failing. I kept failing. He said, and sometimes I was faking it, and I would think, well, I'm being a good Christian, and then I'd become arrogant and prideful and judgmental and judge everybody else. But he said, deep down, I knew that I wasn't really measuring up. And he said, then... Sometimes I would just almost despair. I would think, I'm never going to be a good Christian. But he said, then, gradually, as I grew, I began to understand that God does not want me to live my life for him. He wants to live his life in me. And he said, as I came to understand that more and more, I learned that what he wants for me is just for me to trust him, for me to just welcome him, for me to, to always be committed, consecrated to him so that he can do through me what I could never do for myself. And I was telling him, you know, that a few weeks ago, so I, sent him, I told him that, the book that had really turned me around on this was the book by Major Ian Thomas called The Saving Life of Christ. And by the way, my our grandson heard that sermon, and he went out and bought that book. And he told me uh, this last week, he said, Papa, that's the greatest book I've ever read. He said, it is changing the way I look at the Christian life. And as a grandfather, I'm saying, yes, yes. I wish I could have learned that when I was 19 not when I was 25 or whatever it was. So, so the Holy Spirit, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was the agent. He was the one who actually brought you to, to Jesus. Amen. Here's what he did. He First of all, he showed you that you were a sinner. You would have never, oh, oh you would have admitted, oh, I know I'm not perfect. No, he, but he does more than that. He brings you to a place that we call it conviction of sin. He makes you know that you are guilty and that you have no chance of ever absolving yourself of your sin. He actually makes you miserable, and he does it on purpose so that you will say, what must I do to be saved? And then he shows you Jesus. And he says, here is what you must do. You must trust in him. And then he gives you faith to believe. You don't, give it, you're, you don't work it up in yourself. It's actually a gift of God through the Holy Spirit. So he does it all. He actually does it all. And then you believe with the faith that he's given you and you trust in Jesus and then the Holy Spirit actually converts you, changes you, gives you a new heart 
And then, amazingly, he actually moves in to the inner part of who you are, and he lives in you. And that's why the Bible calls Christians saints. You ever think of yourself as a saint? Most of us think, well, I'm no saint, you know, uh, you know. And I've even had people say, well, of course, I'm no saint. I say, are you a Christian? Yeah. Have you really been saved? Yes. Jesus lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. Well, yeah. Then you're a saint. So I'm old Saint Nick. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. And, uh, and this is Saint Carol. And so... You're, you're a saint if you're a Christian. That doesn't mean you're sinless. doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're separated out by God for the Holy Spirit to live in you as one who has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus through faith. That's what a saint is. Amen. Now, God is working. Now, see... The Holy Spirit moves in, and he lives inside you. Let me tell you a picture I got this week while I was walking my dog. I got trying to, I was praying, God, show me. What's this, what's a good picture? And the Bible describes us as having been dug out of a pit. Over in the book of Psalms, the psalmist says, you have dug me out of the miry pit. And you've set me up on a pedestal, on a solid rock. And I thought, that's what, ha- that's what happened to me. When I was saved, God's Holy Spirit dug me out of the pit of sin, and he sets me up on a, like a solid pedestal, and he begins to work on me. Now, he moves in, and the image of God, that is the character of Jesus. The Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so the Holy Spirit brings into us the very person of God, and he's living inside of us. And that means we're his. That's, that's, we're his. I'm going to give you some scripture in a minute. But then he goes to work. And he says, now my, my end game, where I'm, where I'm going with this, is I'm going to take this lump of miry clay, this miry granite, and I'm going to work from the inside and some from the outside too, and I'm going to work to shape old St. Nick into the full image of Jesus. Now, the image is already in here, but it's not always out here. And so he's working to transform, to conform, to change me into the very character of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wanting to produce in me such things that's not natural to me, Genuine, sacrificial, self-giving, dying love, joy unspeakable, full of glory, peace that passes all understanding, patience 
that is just that never gives up, never quits, and never, n- never gives up on other people, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. I've left out a couple, but uh, gentleness, meekness. That's what he's wanting to do. But he doesn't get it all finished, even in this life. He's been working on me from the inside out for almost 60 years now, 58 years. And he's been working to sanctify me. Now, when we talk about sanctification, that's a word you probably don't use very often, do you? Probably this whole week you hadn't used the word sanctification or sanctify. But God is working. And in fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God is working everything, all things, together for those that love God for our good. Because we're called according to his purpose. Well, what is that purpose? Verse 29 tells us what the purpose is. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, he determined ahead of time, this is going to, I'm going to finish this process, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the Holy Spirit's end game. He is living in me, but he's not just resting in there. He doesn't have his feet propped up with a remote control watching Netflix or something. Heaven forbid. He's working. Jesus said, my father works and I work. And he could add that. And the Holy Spirit works. And we're going to keep on working. And he who has begun a good work in you is going to continue it. Praise God he's not going to give up on me. I'm so thankful. There have been times along the way where I've almost given up on me. But God's Holy Spirit says, I'm not going to quit. I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep on working. Now, let me, let, me, let me read some verses to you, and then I've got one thing I want to. When we think about sanctification, there's three, three tenses to our sanctification. One is what I call positional Sanctification. We sometimes call this justification. It's when I became a Christian. When I first trusted in Jesus, he sanctified me. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, Wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. When you became a Christian, here's what happened. God looked at all of your sins in your whole life, as long as you would ever live or have ever lived, and he said, I am justifying you. I am declaring you righteous before A holy God. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, 
but don't I have to do righteous things? That comes later. First of all, there is a declaration of your righteousness before God, but it's not even your righteousness because God made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to become sin for me so that I could be declared to have the righteousness of God, which is in Christ. And right now, from October 19, I don't remember the exact day because I didn't write it down, but it was in October in 1961, God declared me righteous when I trusted Jesus. And I was sanctified, past tense, justified before God. But then there is progressive sanctification. This is what is going on now. I'm, I'm saved, but I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. So if, if it's, just, it's almost like getting married in a way. I was married on uh, December the 18th, 1965, but I, I wasn't a perfect husband. I'm still not a perfect husband, but I'm a better husband than I was when I got married because progressively I'm learning more and more about how to be a husband. And I know some of you think, 53 years, you're still learning? Yeah. And I probably will be still learning 10 more years from now. When I got saved, I was as saved as I'd ever be. I, I can't ever be more saved, but I can be more holy. Not holy in the sense of justified, but holy in the sense of growing in grace. Listen to 1 Corinthians. Uh, well, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. I'm trying to get through here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. He said, look, here's God's will for you. A lot of teenagers ask me, what is God's will for my life? I say, well, I can tell you absolutely what God's will for your life is. This is the will of God, yes. your sanctification, that you abstain from immorality, that you abstain from other kinds of sin, and that you grow in holiness. That's God's will for your life, my life too. So that's progressive. That's, that's the... The Spirit of God living in that lump of ugly granite, and he's working, chipping things away, working to expand, to grow. Paul talked about to the Galatians, he said, My little children, I travail like a woman in childbirth for Christ to be fully formed in you. It's like he's trying to break through and we can cooperate with him, by the way. We can resist him, too, by the way. We can resist the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, or we can work with him. Amen. And then there is perfected 
perfected sanctification. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. We call this glorification. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Won't that be a glorious day? And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. God is, the Holy Spirit came into me when I became a Christian, declared me fully righteous before God, and said he's mine forever. He sealed me. He uh, sanctified me. He, he set me apart. He said, Nick Harris is mine. And he always will be. And then he started to work. And he began to work to progressively change me. And there is coming a day when he will glorify himself in me. There will be no sin. Now that doesn't happen until I actually get to heaven. But, you know, I want to get as close to that before I die as I can. I don't want there to be such a radical shift when I die. I want that process to have happened a long time, uh, been happening a long time. And there will be a day when he changes me into the very full likeness. The Bible says when we see him, we will be like him. <laughs> there, that day is coming. So in the process, here's what's happening. God is working on you. He's working from the inside. That's the best way. But he also works from the outside. And I, I read something this last week. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to read a long section to you. And then I've printed it out for you to take when you leave today because I think everybody ought to have this. This was written by A.W. Tozer, a fun, wonderful Christian writer. And it's called The Hammer, the File, and the Furnace. And he says, The hammer is a useful tool, but the nail <laughs> sees the hammer as brutal, merciless enemy who lives to just pound it into submission, to beat it down out of sight. So the nail has a view of the hammer that's a little different. That's the nail's view of the hammer. But the nail and the hammer forgets that both it and the hammer are servants of the carpenter. Let the nail just remember that the hammer is held by a master workman and all resentment will disappear. The carpenter decides whose head will be beaten. <laughs> That's his sovereign right. That's the carpenter's sovereign right. When the nail has surrendered to the will of the workman and gets a glimpse of his finished plans, it will yield to the hammer without complaint. Are you getting this? Everybody understanding this okay? The file is even more painful, for its business is to bite into the soft metal, scraping and eating away the edges until it shapes the metal to its will. Yet the file has no real will in the matter. It serves another master, as the metal also does. 
It's the master, not the file, that decides how much needs to be eaten away and what shape the metal will take and how long the painful filing will continue. Let the metal accept the will of the master and it will not try to dictate when or how it is filed. Now, as for the furnace, it's the worst of all, ruthless and savage. It leaps at every combustible thing that enters it, and it never relaxes until it has reduced everything to shapeless ashes. All that refuses to burn is melted to a mass of helpless matter without will or purpose of its own. When everything is melted that will melt and all is burned that will burn, then and not until then, the furnace rests its destructive fury. How can we praise God for the hammer and the file and the furnace? The answer is to love the master. The master who holds the hammer and the file and operates the furnace. Feel the hammer until its rough beatings no longer hurt. Endure the file till you actually enjoy its bitings as you're getting sharper. Walk with God in the furnace until it becomes your home. Such doctrine as this does not find much sympathy among Christians in these soft and carnal days. We tend to think of Christianity as a painless system by which we can escape hell. The flaming desire to be rid of every unholy thing and to put on the likeness of Jesus at any cost is not often found among us. We expect to enter the everlasting kingdom of our Father, sit down around the table with sages, saints, and martyrs, and through the grace of God, maybe we shall. But for most of us, it could prove an embarrassing experience. Ours might be the silence of the untried soldier in the presence of the battle-hardened heroes who have fought the fight and won the victory, and they have scars to prove that they were present in the battle. Everybody get that? In this wicked world, it is necessary for God to use the hammer, the file, and the furnace in his holy work of preparing a saint. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Without doubt, we of this generation have become so soft that we cannot scale into spiritual heights. Salvation has come to mean deliverance from unpleasant things. Our hymns and sermons create for us a religion of pleasantness. We overlook the place of the thorns, the cross, and the blood. We ignore the function of the hammer and the file. Strange as it may sound, it's true that much of the suffering that we're called on to endure on the highway to holiness is an inward suffering for which scarcely an external cause can be found. For our journey is an inward journey, and our real foes are invisible to the eyes of men. Attacks of darkness, despondency, and acute self-depreciation may be endured without any change in our outward circumstances. Only the enemy 
and God himself and the hard-pressed Christian know what has taken place. The inward suffering has been great and a mighty work of purification has been accomplished. God has cleansed his child in the only way he can in this evil world. Thank God for the hammer and the file and the furnace. I just want you to know God loves you so much that he will not leave you unholied, unsanctified. He is working. He is working on you and on me. And his goal, his purpose is to chip away everything that doesn't look like Jesus in our life. And we ought to welcome that. And I ask for our invitation today, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer like this. Holy Spirit of God, use the hammer, use the file, use the furnace, and use your word to purge away everything in my life that doesn't look like Jesus. So I want us to bow our heads together and we're going to sing a verse of an invitation hymn here just in a minute then we're going to slip out. But uh, as we sing, could you make this your prayer? Really, really make this your prayer. Holy Spirit of God, do your work in me. Help me cooperate, not resist. Use the hammer. Use the file. Use the furnace. And my great hunger in life is for holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.